God, I want to thank you so much for what you're doing with our children. Lay that foundation, God, so that when the lies of the enemy come about in every direction which comes from this world around us, God, that there will be no no question about what's true and what's false. God, I just pray. Right now, They would be led by your spirit and learn in that just teach profoundly, move profoundly, and in that God raise up this generation to be one that praises you but calls you blessed. So Lord, be exalted, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. And by the way, those of you who are um, happy Father's Day, David. David's first Father's Day, by the way. He's really not a father yet. I mean, just is a mother. But that's part of the advice we give to the um, to the men that when your wife got pregnant, she became a mother, but she won't become a husband or a husband. You that you better be You won't be a father until you hold that baby for the first time. Until then. Just a husband and a psychotic. Anyway, so um, God does some really great things. And just get ready for it. My wife is actually very normal. Um, she, was, she was born, uh, and you were just so weird normally that it, it, the change wasn't that good. Um, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Let's get one to you. We're out of Bibles. So don't raise your hand because that's what you say. Raise your hand, raise your hand, and somebody else who has one can sit next to you and share it with you. And we are in the Gospel of Genesis. We're in chapter 47 this morning. So go ahead and get there if you would, please. Gospel of Genesis, chapter 47. Then Joseph provided, this is verse 12, we left off at verse 12 last week, and as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, that helps, you know where we're going to be, we're just right where we left off. Verse 12 says, then Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all of his father's household with bread, according to the number in their families, that there was no bread in the land for all the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, for the grain in which they brought, that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. 
Then Joseph said, Give your livestock, and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle, the herds, and for the donkeys. And thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds and livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes? both we and our land, by us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people... He moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell the land. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you. You shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one fifth to Pharaoh, four fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field and for your food for those of your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, or so they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord. Pharaoh's servants. Joseph made a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one fifth except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. And we'll read verse 27 again. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen. And they had possessions there and grew. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, we can see information transmitted. We can all learn interesting, trivial facts. Feel like we're more familiar with the text a little bit. And still walk out of here back into the bondage we had before we came in here this, this morning. We could tighten up our eschatological, soteriological, soteriological. <laughs> See, that's all right, but I'm going with it, Lord. Huh? All of those things, Lord, that in some way or another further bolster our apologetic belt so we can better argue against others and still find ourselves in the place where we feel like a hypocrite because in the end of it all, there's so much more to life than just having the best argument especially when what we're arguing over is a God that's supposed to transform lives. And that's what we're asking. As we 
for you to transform our lives, to do so much more than just give us more words to say or think about, but to teach us in your ways, to hide this in our hearts, to bury it, that we would not sin against you, that you would inculcate into our being, that we would walk and act and move in such a manner that is so unique and profoundly different from this world around us, that it will cause the dead among us to take notice say today as it would any, please don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be your authority. Let the Bible be that for which you test everything that is said. Not just what I say, but everything that is said. We are now roughly somewhere on the closer side of 2000 BC. Somewhere in there, a Jewish boy has been sold by his brothers who hated him because he was favored by his father. And he had, in their opinion, delusions of grandeur that were dreams, actually visions from God. He was a son of promise. Sold by his own, as if he came to his own, but they received him not. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by those he loves. But what man intended for evil, God meant for good. And there, with a rough and rocky 20-year road, he will find himself now second in command there in Egypt, the only place in a seven-year famine that seems to have grain because of some of these dreams that Joseph has been interpreting that have been given to Pharaoh. Joseph will, and this is part of the beautiful story, be reconciled to his family. The same ones who betrayed him, who left him for dead, at their benefit. And in his act of forgiveness, Joseph, this good Jewish boy, one of the few people in Scripture we do not have a recorded sin. That doesn't mean he didn't sin. This means that God was very kind not to record it. 
And Joseph, this good Jewish boy, betrayed by his own, will first be recognized by the Gentile community, be raised up to become their savior, and then ultimately in the restoration of his own family, the Jewish people, will then become the savior of them as well. Now in a very simple and practical way, that is physically, because the famine is seven years, and so bad that it'll be as if it had never been plentiful before. Now what's interesting is Amos speaks about another famine, and I won't develop it too much because it's a side note to this, but he speaks about a famine of the word of God. And dare I just say, and I ask your prayers for these things, our general rule is if it's a good thing, take it to praise. If it's a heavy thing, take it to prayer. But I remember first coming to this country years ago, I mean, first as an adult, and thinking this is a country that appears as if it was never touched by the gospel. Joseph knows what a famine could be that could be so bad that it would seem as if nothing ever grew here before. Though, oddly enough, before this famine, there was a time of fantastic plenty. So much so that the excess was stored, some of the excess was stored. Actually, the same 20% that's required of humanity. And it was that that's actually feeding the whole world at this point. And if you'd have been in that time, you would never have imagined the famine. Just the same way that if you'd been in the middle of the famine, it would be almost impossible to imagine the time of plenty. What we had in the beginning of this chapter, and actually the last chapter up to this point, was how great it would be to be part of Joseph's family, because in Joseph's family, now that he's been restored to them, he had been given, given them guidance, given them Goshen, the only place that's still lush in the entire area, he had been given them a warm greeting, they'd gone between Pharaoh and them, and given them the goodness of the land. And that was the last we'll see that Pharaoh. From this point on, the focus will be now on Joseph dad, and the boys. Until the end of the chapter, the next Pharaoh we meet will be one who did not know Joseph. And we'll talk about that when we get to Exodus. Some of you have been around long enough. Would you believe we're almost done with the book of Genesis? Isn't that crazy? Now, sometimes you've seen those movies where you watch one thing happening in one place, and then you kind of get that, meanwhile, back in the camp, and then you get the other side of things. <laughs> You know, on this side, things are looking really good. They're happy, they're dancing, and things are good. And then meanwhile, back over here, everybody's scrounging and awful and weak. And, well, that's basically what we got in our heads. What we had last week was the benefits of that family. And what we really see today is actually the family factor. And really, the choice is whether you want to be part of the family or whether you want to be part of the family. Because really, that's the choice we see here. And this process, by the way, is a universal process. We learn a lot about famine from this. Now understand what a famine is. What a famine is, is the inability to meet and satiate your appetite to the point where you find yourself starving. And what we find here is the common statement is, why should we die? Did you see that statement as we read through? Now understand how this starts. Now look at the, the, the difference between verse 12 and verse 13. In verse 12 it says, Joseph provided his, his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread. 
In Joseph's household, on this side of things, things are good. They're satisfied. They're comforted. They're living in the best of the land. Things are good. But not being in Joseph's family, things aren't so good. And if we remember last week, as we now dig into this portion starting in verse 13, there are only three ways you could be part of a family. You could be born into it, you could marry into it, or you could be adopted. Which, by the way, are exactly the three ways from which God says he takes us unto himself. God takes every one of them so you cannot doubt for a second you are part of his family. In verse 13, we read, there was no bread in all the land, and the famine was very severe. And this is our first word, and the word, by the way, is the word kabad. Could you say kabad? The word means heavy. And understand the idea of this. This famine, this thing that was for an appetite that is driven people now, has become something that just weighs on you like a heavy burden. And now, now please understand, though it's almost obvious here that what we're looking at is something that's quite simply physical in regards to that appetite that we have for food, and God gave us that appetite because if we didn't have that, we would never eat certain things that help keep us alive. Now, sooner or later, even the, the most carnivorous of you, if given hunger enough, will eat the vegetables in front of you. Now, we're aware of the fact that God gave us that appetite because he knows that without eating, we die. God gives us thirst because without that, we die if we don't satiate that need. But he also gives us other appetites. Now, understand the difference between the biblical approach to something and the political approach, even of some of the church. God has given you appetites. The, the appetite will never be the sin. The issue will be what menu you, uh, you order from. The difference between lust and God's plan is the difference of what menu you order from. He has given us all an appetite to be important. Why is it that the highest grossing movies of the last 10 years all seem to have the word man at the end of it, like Spider-Man or Superman or, I mean, because there's a part of boys that are raised up thinking that's what importance is. You know, if I could have that kind of strength or if I could fly or I could walk through a wall or I could see through, now granted, some of those things we would be in those powers it would be a really bad idea. And, and you get the idea, there's some part of us that we think, and then we look at, we look at these, these heroes that are in sports and we think, if I could do that for that three seconds, that would be it. But as we get older, those of us who are older, you, don't we recognize that a real hero isn't the guy who does something right for three seconds. It's the guy who does the same thing regularly that's right that you can set your clock to. The guy that's steady and consistent and constant. Now that's a hero today for me. Wasn't when I was 15. And we do have an appetite to be important. And then the enemy says, well, let me show you a new menu. Here's the new menu. Be rich. Then you'll be important. Be famous. Then you'll be important. The problem is you can get rich by hurting everybody. You can be famous at everyone else's destruction, and you still think, well, I'm important. Well, Hitler was important, but he's not important in a good way. Do you want to be that? Do you see the difference in menus? And then what happens is every menu that God gives is going to lead you back to him. 
Here's the problem. What happens if you refuse to look at that menu? You get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier because, church, beloved, it's not impossible, but unfortunately, the norm for the world to creep into the church instead of the church to actually go and impact the world. So you know what we're, we, we're taught? If I die single, I'm a failure and I'm incomplete. Verse of scripture that says that Jesus died to make you complete. The word sozo for saved also means fixed and complete. And that I can't imagine praying to God, God, I will be incomplete or I will be alone if you don't bring me someone. When Jesus died to be with us, how does that work in the sight of God? Could you imagine me giving everything to be with you and you saying, give me someone because I'll be alone though I've been tagging along with you the whole time? And you understand the world creeps that menu in and all of a sudden you look and go, oh, that. Because the reason I say that is that every one of us will have appetites and those appetites, and, and listen, even the, I'm going to just say, the appetite for sex is not sinful. The issue is the guy has a menu, and the enemy has a menu. The enemy's menu just seems like it is more elaborate. Certainly more colorful, it's glossy, and God's just like, here's simple and true. I want to see commitment before you start cashing in the benefits of that commitment. And on this side, it's like, why don't you just play around and maybe you'll end up with commitment. And you realize the difference is radical. And then what happens is the political church will say, well, that's the sin. And you're like, well, wait a minute. It's like, no, wait a minute. The appetite's not the sin. The menu that you're going to order from will be the difference. And the reason I say that is, is that God genuinely wants to make a difference. Now, as we look at this issue of, of famine, let me ask you, what drives you today? What appetites drive you? The, the appetite for companionship? The appetite for being important? The appetite for, for having a purpose? There are so many things that are out there that, beloved, this could apply to you in just the same way. Here's how it starts. Is that when it doesn't seem to get met, it just seems like it's a giant burden on your shoulders. And by the way, after doing 20 years of marriage counseling, the one actually administering, not receiving, although any counseling, you wind up getting it on both sides. And you'd be like, wow, we need to pray for pastors. Almost every bit of marriage problems boils down to this. Who are you trying to get to meet those appetites? And if they don't end up with the one, I mean, if they're created for God who's infinite, how can anything finite fill that hole? But there was no bread in the land here. And God gives it to us in a very simple way. And it says that it was heavy. It was heavy on the people. But this is the part that really gets me. And we're only one person. But now you're like, wow, okay, are we going to get through this? We'll see. It says that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan Languished. Do you see the word languished in that verse? The word languished, by the way, is the word lachach. Can you say lachach? Oh, come on, this is Hebrew, you can't go lachach. Lachach. by the way, if I tell you what it means, it'll actually help you to say it even with more passion. The word means to burn, it means to be rabid, it means to be insane. That's what the word means. Now you say the word. You kind of get the idea, right? Now listen to what was just said. That the famine that was seven years long, somewhere we're probably at about the five-year mark if we try to chase what's going to happen in the rest of this text. 
And it has gotten to the place now where the famine is so heavy on you, it's driving you insane. And you know what that's like. You get so hungry all of a sudden, something you wouldn't even think of doing now seems like an option. That's stuff that you're like, you know, this is the same thing with natural food. Now, some people have this syndrome, and let me just say, there was a syndrome out there called Pico Syndrome. And Pico Syndrome is the syndrome where people actually look and they actually crave to eat a light bulb. Or they look at the dirt and say, that looks yummy. And it isn't like they just think it looks like ground up Oreos. They really just think it looks good. Now, the, the idea that's a syndrome because if you allow a person to live that out, they will die from it. And dare I say, I think that all of us are born with spiritual Pico Syndrome. We have this and we're like, ooh, dirt, ooh, glass. That's, you can see God going, I did not create you for this. But even the most, you know, sort of fickle one of us, that's the pickiest of eaters, sooner or later, you'll get hungry enough, you start looking and going, wow, that sock is looking really good right now. I a little bit of HP sauce. Mm, I baked that thing. Oh, I'll just eat it right now. Because you get hungry to the point where now, all of a sudden, in the beginning, I mean, I know people are like, I can eat that. I can eat that. And then you're like, okay, well, wait. For how long till you eat that? <laughs> Have you ever had anyone approach you on the... I, I had this about, I don't know, it was about six, eight months ago. But we were walking by Old Street. And walking by Old Street, we had a guy that came up to us. And he was clearly kind of doing the whole, could use a few pounds kind of routine. And, and I understand there are people out there that really are in need. Now, with that in mind, understand the last thing I want to do is give a guy just a couple of pounds. Because the worst thing you can do with somebody who's addicted is give him money. This is all you're doing is you're, you're kind of... Charging it. Well, what was that in mind? The person comes in, and of course, they're not going to ask you. Well, occasionally, someone's like, oh, God, I just need a beer. And you're like, all right, well, we'll get you something else if you want coffee, and I'm not even fond of that. But this particular guy's like, I haven't eaten in three days. And I kind of looked at the guy, and it isn't like I looked at my body, you chubby, there ain't no way that's the day. But I kind of looked at him and kind of went, well, then let's go get you some food. He goes, well, where? And I'm like, well, we're right by a Sainsbury. That's perfect. And he goes, well, what would you get there? Like, no, wait a minute, I already know where this is starting to stare. And I'm like, well, why don't we go get you a sandwich? That sounds good. Well, I don't like the sandwiches the same. Group. I'm like, what? He goes, well, they, they, they have mayonnaise. They all have mayonnaise. I'm like, are you allergic to mayonnaise? No, I just didn't like it. I'm like, and you haven't eaten for three days. And you won't eat a sandwich that's got mayonnaise on it? After three days, I'll eat a tub of mayonnaise. Just give me mayo soup. And the reason I said that is the hungrier you get, the more that things get a little less logical. Okay, because, and the worst thing is there are going to be things that feed that appetite. And you know that. And dare I say this, sometimes that will be your family that mean well. Sometimes it will be your friends. That will be, you know, your mom will call and say, uh, we were with uh, our friends that have all grandchildren. We have grandchildren. We, we, when do you get married? Do you meet anyone yet? We put your name in eHarmony. Like, Mom! <laughs> And then you kind of go, wow. She's like, no, you're not getting any younger, honey. By your age, we have 17 children. You know, and you're like, oh, thank you. And you know, and all of a sudden you start going, wow, maybe, maybe. And in the beginning, you're like, you know what? This person has to be basically Jesus. Right? And then it's like, okay, has to basically like, be a Christian. And then he has to say he's a Christian. And then it's like, well, he has to have a beard. <laughs> and then it's like, okay. Yes, and it's like, I mean, you get hungry and hungry and all of a sudden it's like, he's got to be breathing. <laughs> I mean, and by that point, then he's going to be, you know, and then he's going to be like, that's a Tony, I met somebody, and he's just really 
great, he you know, kind of cute. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Is he Christian? That is a Christian. And my answer usually is, well, so does Satan. Satan said he was a Christian, too. And they're like, uh, well, he, he goes to church. Oh, Satan goes to church, too, I guarantee you. He showed up at some church. Does he love Jesus more than you do? Does he challenge you? You're like, wow, if I'm really going to be with this person... Imagine if we looked at it from a physical sense. And there you are. There was a time you used to be an athlete. Everything was good and strong. And you met somebody and they're like a runner. And now these days you got the Dunlop disease. You know what that is? That's where your belly does lop over your nose. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, you've been the most fit person on your own trip. You know, it's like, and where your couch is at the pub, you're the thinnest guy there because everybody else is kind of like jobbing the hut. And so you're feeling okay. But all of a sudden, you meet this person, and all of a sudden, you're like, hmm, there's no way I'm going to keep up with this girl unless I like get fit. Could you imagine if that were the case spiritually? And I'm not just, I mean, what about your friends? What about? The people you would call your passing. And the reason I say this, what we're about to see, and it'll pick up now, but is it'll make you crazy if you're gonna try to meet with something else. And you know what the worst part is? Especially like in relationships. I'm, like, I'm, I'm just trusting the Lord's theory in that direction. Um, I don't even know why, but I'm sure he does. Is is that is that the worst part about any relationships is that we'll blame someone else. How totally cool is that? You know, I mean, if we, if we could actually see what the actual truth is, is I'm so tired of you not being Jesus. And of course, the answer would be, that's because I'm, I'm, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> and and I, I never will be on this side of things as far as in any particular thing. And I want to be like him. On that side, I will be like him. But when you marry him, you won't have to worry about me. But I'm not saying this because it's in any way sort of personally confessing. I'm saying it because... There is something that happens when I do actually come to Christ and let him fill that appetite. And that is, when I'm part of that family, all of a sudden, I, I, I haven't just sort of stuck my face in the pail of water. I've actually connected my hose to the source. And now all of a sudden, I'm not just worried or concerned about making sure that my thirst is quenched. Now I become a fountain for others. Now look at the difference. On one side, and this is exactly what it says in Jeremiah. God says, I have two problems with my people. This is all these paraphrase. He says, that one, they've dug in, they've done they've dug, not dunged, uh, cisterns <laughs> that can't hold water. And he goes, and they've forsaken the living water in the first place. And he goes, and that's the problem here. Because, I mean, on one side, it's, it's, it's like this big, just, you know, it's this cavernous thing that sits in the ground that can't even hold the water. And so there you are trying it with the world, and you're trying it with the world, and every time it's like grasping oil, and it goes to and it's got to be another relationship, and it's got to be another thing I got to get, and it's got to be the new four eye thing, and it talks to me now, and it guides me, and, it, and it's computer, and that's like I saw an eagle eye, and this freaks me out, and I see all this, and then it's like, well, wait a minute, it's got to be another thing, and I got to get another promotion in my job, and I've got to get another couple letters after my name. That'll make me important, and maybe if I can get more people that see me, and more people that applaud me, and maybe I get this, and I get that. But the problem is, it just keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps going, because the cistern can't hold water. 
And it's, it's the craziest part is when you get hungry and you don't even know what fills it anymore. You get so crazy, it's like you don't even know what it is that you're crazy about. And you know what happens? You start to lose it. And that's what we have to do. You get to that point where it's just like, man, I will pay for someone to, to pretend that they love me. Because if they could just smile at me for a couple of minutes, maybe that will, well, that didn't work. Maybe it was the wrong prostitute. I better find another one. Or, you know, maybe if I could just get another Nah, maybe, you know, I got the wrong one. Maybe I should have gone Blackberry instead of iPhone. That would have done it. Or, you know, wow, plasma. But wait a minute, that guy's got one the size of his wallet. But in the end of it all, you're staring at something and you're still living miserable. And I knew this before I knew Jesus because I got all of my stuff before that. And I was so miserable. I was so hungry. I didn't even know what I was hungry for. You what our, our, my wife and I, my our first couple years of marriage, man, that was the first thing we were just like trying to figure out how what part do you play in it, and part of it is realizing what part we don't play in it. I said, man, I gotta go back to where the source is, so that I can shower you and can come at you as a blessing instead of coming at you as a consumer. And you know what? We'll do that with every one of our friends. We'll do that with church. Come in as a consumer, how do I give the least and get the most? Isn't that what a good consumer is? And then in the end of it all, we go crazy and then think somehow everybody else is messed up and we're normal. You gotta know there's a problem. If everything else in the world is messed up, then you're the only normal thing. <laughs> so what is what how does this thing run? How does the system run? Well, here's how it starts. You're now in this place where you're kind of caught up in this insanity. And of course, that's the word again for languishing the hell. Verse 14, Joseph gathered up all the money. It was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan. The grain in which the father Joseph brought the money to Pharaoh's house and the money failed. Do you see those words? Can you say the money failed? The money failed. That was verse 15. Do you see that? Now, here's the problem with somebody that's rich. Is it takes a long time for some people. Some people, like some of us, money could fail in a day. Like the money, you know, all of a sudden the checkbook says, oh, our checkbook's got a lot of zeros. We just don't have any other numbers. So I put all kinds of zeros in there. There comes a point where you realize whether you run out or whether it just runs out on you, that it just isn't going to do it. I know, I mean, I, I grew up poor. And I know what it was like to get that point. I mean, I was never the kind of guy that if I'd gotten a lot of money, I would have bought a really expensive car. I've gotten a limo and had someone drive me. I'd have just gotten something. I, I would never have bought Armani suits because I really don't like ties. I would have just bought more jeans. But you know what? You learn, you only got two legs, and they usually only fit in the same pair of jeans. You can only wear one pair at a time. You get a closet full of clothes and you look and you're still not happy with them because like some of us here, it always looks better on a mannequin. <laughs> yeah, somehow if we could just get that mannequin shape when we put the shirt on, we probably would have bought three and stuck with them. But no, no, that one's not it either. And the reason I say all that is, is that you keep getting to this place where sooner or later it just runs out. By the way, that was the situation in the Gospel of Luke 
is Luke focuses on Jesus' humanity. Chapter 15, where he tells us about the lost sheep, one out of a hundred, the lost coin, one out of ten, clearly narrows it, and then the lost son, one out of two. This guy actually says, Dad, I'm tired of waiting for you to die. Do you realize that? Give me the inheritance, because I really shouldn't get it unless you die. Can I have it anyways? And he gives it to him. And that guy is as popular as he is wealthy. It's directly proportional. And of course, when if the money runs out and your friends do with it, they're not friends. And it got to the point where he was doing everything on culture, serving a guy that's raising pigs. And it tells us, by the way, but when he had spent all, there arose a famine in the land again, and began to be I mean, all that is, is there comes a point where you're just going to go in want. That's one of the problems with our country, if I can dare say that. And I do call it our country. There are some people who don't realize the need they're in because they're not in want. That makes sense. Because the money hasn't run out yet. But it will. And when you watch very, very wealthy men jumping out of buildings because the stock market rises and falls like it does. Because one day they had billions and the next day they were going to get government cheese. It's that quick. We used to be able to go to Turkey and become a millionaire the moment we showed up because one American dollar was worth about one million lira. Doesn't mean it was worth one million dollars. And even today, we know about all of the problems within the economy here in Western Europe. With the, you know, with the whole sort of Eurozone, and with Greece and Spain, and, and people are really freaking out. Do we let these people in? Do we not let these people in? Because after all, that will affect our economy. Because what we really, 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 really don't want is for the money to run out. Because when the money runs out, what we realize is, is that we've put our trust in something we can't hold on to. And it says, by the way, that surely money just grows wings and flies away. That's like grasping something your hands are not equipped to hold on to. So you'll sell your whole self over. And that's how it starts, but that's not the end of it. So the people come to the son of promise, who is the representative of the one who sits on the throne, and they say,
But those moments where you get so crazy, you don't even realize how crazy you're being. A lot of people are like, well, if I don't have this, I will die. And there's two things that I can learn about this famine here. One is it's universal. Whether that be the Jew that was there in Canaan, now coming down, whether it be anyone who lived in Canaan, whether it be anyone who lived in Egypt, if you were not part of the family, this is just this is the universal family. And had they not been reconciled to Joseph, they would have been in the same family too. They were in that same family. And had they not received the forgiveness of Joseph, friends, they would have died like anyone else without Joseph's mercy. Now listen, at this moment, I'll tell you when I know that you're at this point where you're this hungry, you'll stop yelling or arguing or looking at me with this thing when I tell you there's only one way. Because at this point, you just practically would be anything. Don't tell me you don't like Jesus because he comes with mayonnaise. I mean, in the end of it all, it's like, oh, I just want, I want somebody that doesn't tell me what to do. Well, the way you've been doing it has been killing you. You know you want somebody to reprogram it into something that turns you to a blessing instead of the curse you're killing yourself with? No, no, I want God on my terms. Well, then what you really want is you want to be God and have somebody else serve you with greater power. Does that sound logical to you? I want somebody with all power to serve me that has infinite knowledge to serve my will that's infinitely kind to serve my intentions which aren't. That's crazy. We start by dishing out our money and then after our money we start losing all of our stuff and all of a sudden out goes the couch, out goes the TV, out goes everything and you're left with you're homeless but you still got your phone. <laughs> Verse 18, that lasted a year. And by this point, you kind of know it, right? You kind of know you're in the downward spiral, and you kind of know this is going to run out. I don't have an unlimited supply of stuff. Sooner or later, I'm going to either have to take somebody else's stuff, I'm going to have to get more stuff, or I'm going to run out. Those are my only options. They got to the point where they ran out. The thing is, is that if everybody around you is in the same family, you won't even have anyone else's stuff to take because they've been hawking it too. You live in a household full of people like that, and you know what that's like. You sleep with your hand on your wallet in your pocket. So they say, look at there's nothing left. Look at verse 18. We will not hide from the Lord, which, by the way, tells me there's been a time when they've been trying to hide it. Have you ever done that? Your life has been so empty, but you don't want anyone to know. You got to be proud of a person, by the way, who played the cello, drowning on the Titanic. And then if you'd have hopped on that double bass and floated to the next place and waited for someone to rescue him, because that would be cowardly. Friends, listen. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. And by the way, that's part of what God intends so proud you'd rather die than ask for help and unfortunately sometimes that becomes your options and it gets to that point where you just you get crazy enough you get hungry enough you're like you know what I can't hide this from you anymore the ironic thing is is that if, or the odd thing about it if you think about it is I don't think that Joseph was oblivious to this information I mean if he even bought all the stuff sooner or later you've got to realize he knows there's a timetable to this 
None of this stuff rhythmically satisfies. And it's like, imagine you're going to say, all right, Lord, I'll finally confess to you. Let me let you in on a little bit of information. And if God now is going to get the memo when you pray. You know, and you're like, all right, God, I'll, I'll finally tell you this. I'm going to surprise you with this. Kind of in a bad, worse, badder. See, look at that. What kind of thing? Kind of in a worse shape than I thought I was. God's like, you don't even know how bad a shape you're in now. You know, the most amazing thing is, is that never in this text, anytime that someone comes to Joseph, do they not get bread. There's a, there's a point where Joseph says, forget it, man, I don't care. What you got left? And so look at what they say. In verse 18, it says, we will not hide from the Lord. Our money's gone. The Lord is also as our herds and livestock. There's nothing left in the sight of the Lord but our bodies and our land. The only thing left is to serve. Now my stuff, now my money. Just take me. And when you're in that place, it takes a miracle to put away. The good news is my God is all about miracles. And maybe you know what it's like to feel like you really just gave yourself over to whatever it is. You've surrendered your virtue, you surrendered anything that was of any value. Security, your support, your rest. 
job or your bank account? What if that's your style, your looks? Why did God pronounce the ten plagues in Egypt? They were basically ten gods that were worshipped. By the time we were done, God wanted, he made it clear, he wanted the Egyptians to know who was the Lord, so they would follow him. So much so that he brought all the Jewish people into Egypt to study. Do you realize every major struggle we've ever had with God is because he has been taking down the things we worship that are wrong? And he tried to for it. And God says, here's the thing, and you're like, no, look at that. Didn't you? No, 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 I don't want to look at that. Right. And the enemy goes, no, look here, there's this too. And he goes, oh, well, I haven't ordered everything from the menu, but what happens when the menu runs out? nothing left on the menu. And he's still twice as empty. It just seems like everything I eat, I'm hungrier. I'm not even hungry. I'm hungrier when I'm done. And the guy goes, look at This means it here. This, and this is me. It's not an it. It'll never be an it. It's a him. So you say, all right, God. Okay, you're right. <laughs> you win. Money's not going to do it. I'm so tired of trying to get more of it just so I can feel better, so I can be important and powerful and so forth. I'm tired of it. So I don't know, dude. I'll get more stuff. I'll get more food. I'll get more people. And then that runs out, and then that runs out, and then that fails. And sooner or later, there gets that point. What if it were today for you? Where you say, I really don't have anything left to give but me. And God says, do you realize that's the only thing I desire? Everything else I've been just trying to get out of the way so it can just be you and me. And you meet someone and they're so cluttered by their past. They've been hurt by other people. And you know what it's like to fight through all of that just to get to somebody else because you know that's in between. You're like, I want it to be just you and me. You know, it's like when you feel like you're just so miserable because you're so rotten and then you can't let anyone else near or you don't trust anyone else and so you won't let them near and all they want to do is get near you and God's like, wait, all of that, I want to show you how I would gladly take that out of your life. Now, this doesn't mean God wants us all living in some form of abject poverty. The problem is we are already dwelling in abject poverty. The problem is that spiritually, that's just the most important area. The question is, well, what happens at the end? At the end, please hear me, every one of us are going to surrender to someone or something. For some of us, our whole life is just surrendering, 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 and finding out it just doesn't cut it. It just doesn't work. And then you get miserable and you, you, you pick on your kids. You should have done it. You look at your husband or wife and you go, you should have done it. And you look at your work and you say, I gotta quit this and find another one. And you just look at, I need to move to a different borough, or maybe I'll just get out of this stinking place altogether and get someplace else, and that'll do it, whatever. And you just but you can't run from your appetite. And in the end of it all, sooner or later, the most amazing thing is there is one patient lover that has been waiting the whole time that says, look it, I just want you. I just want you. I'm not impressed by anything you'll ever do for me. I'd rather you do it with me. 
you love me. Well, I want to earn it. You'll never earn it. If you earned it, it wouldn't be the kind of love I want to give you. The love that comes with grace is you'll never earn it. I just want to give it to you because I am love. The question is, what happens if we do surrender? Now, you're aware of this moment as we bring this around to its application in our prayer. But this message is not just for a person who's not sure whether they've accepted Jesus. This message is for every one of us who said we have, too. Because in the end of it all, the world is dying for evidence, and if we're going to be caught up in the famine factor, we're going to look just like them, and that's just what the enemy wants. And they'll think, well, how could they possibly, they don't look like they have anything different than me, and we say that we possess heaven, and how in the world does that look any different? I look more different as an American. My behavior is a bit different. Some of my language is different. My priorities might be a little bit different. But I actually say that I'm from heaven. And that should freak you out a little bit. And that's my permanent address. Strange part is my permanent address. I've never lived there yet. But I know the place is getting built for me. And when it's done, I'm going to be taken there. I get escorted so I don't have to get lost. Which is easy for me. And so, you know, and I won't have to figure out whether I topped up my oyster on the way. The price has already been paid. In the end of it all, this is what happens. Is in the end of it all, I look at, you're going to have to redeem me. That's the point here. I need to be redeemed. And what that means is I need to be purchased out of this. I'm tired of it. It just doesn't work. And Joseph looked at him and said, according to this, right, he looks at him and he says, well, you and you and you and you and you, uh, the rest of you can start it. No, that's not what it says. What it says is every person who came to him could find redemption. Every one of them. From the lowliest beggar to the person who started out on top. It doesn't matter how you come to him. The issue is, if you do come to him, are you willing to let him redeem you? And that's what scripture will say, by the way. And what's interesting is the first thing that happens when they surrender, well, notice it with me. Verse 20. Joseph bought the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon him, so the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he moved them into cities. You realize the first thing he did is he assembled them. He gave them assembly. Put them in a place where they could all be together. And here's the crazy part. At that point, please, please hear me on this. We're almost done. Please follow me for the last few. He put us all, and we were all in the same place. You know what that was? Is that everything we've had has failed. None of us are better off than another. We were all, our money's run out. Our, our stuff is run out. Our land is run out. And we've been redeemed. And that was the, that's what we had in common. Is that we were, everything else failed, but we've been redeemed. And by the way, I don't care how good looking, how old or young, or what nationality, how dark or light your skin is, whether you're purple, blue, or green, we all have the same blood, and it's been redeemed by the same blood. And that's what the scripture says. And in the end of it all, whether you've never been popular, or whether you just open up a Facebook account without your name on it, and 500 hits happen in a week, or whatever the case is, in the end of it all, what we all have in common is the same thing. So stop, please. Stop making it about Who's older or younger? Who's richer or poorer? Who's darker or lighter? Who has here or doesn't? Because in the end of it all, 
how we are, a people that needed to surrender to the same kind one who loved us enough to redeem us. And at this place, where we're put together, that's the first thing that Joseph said, no, let's get you all together so you can all have one thing in common. You've all been redeemed. Have we been redeemed? Are you still trying to figure out how to buy your way out of this thing? Then we read this in verse 23. Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I've brought you, I've bought you. By the way, for the what it's worth, Hebrews 10.25, Matthew 18.20, Hebrews 10.24 will be places where God will challenge us to fellowship. And I'm not preaching to the choir. He wants us all together, and there's a lot of good reasons for it. He really wants us together. He really wants us in that place where we can just enjoy each other and look around and be amazed as we see other people come to know him and go, oh, how good it is to be with you. Because you're not going to get that applause from the rest of the world. Because you know why? They're still trying to chase after the buffet of emptiness. Man, they're looking. You're all, you're all satisfied. They're looking. What happened to you? And you irritate me because you're satisfied. What did you find? Jesus. And they're like, I don't want to hear about Jesus. And they're like, well, until you're hungry enough. Mm -hmm. Joseph said to the people, indeed, I have bought you in the land. Stay for fair. Look, there's seed for you. Sow the land. And now you're going to have a harvest. That's what happens. <coughs> First, I'm going to put you together, and then I want to make you productive. And that's the way God works. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, you were bought at a price. You were bought. Jesus bought you. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to him. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves. This is in Revelation 5 9, they sing a new song. And I'm going to rehearse it someday if you accepted Jesus, you'll be part of this as well. The song said, You're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe, out of every tongue, out of every people, and out of every nation. And that place in heaven. We won't look and go, let's get the Portuguese believers over here. Let's get the African believers over here where they can make a little more noise. Let's get the American <laughs> believers over there. Let's get the British believers over here where they can, you know, be a little bit more quiet. But whatever the case is, because in the end of it all, we're going to look around and go, you know what we all have in common? We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And you know what? That's amazing. Any who wants to argue over one more than one choice has no idea the amazing, wondrous gift that we have any choice at all. Because everything else is deep earning and one, only one place does God say, I want to give it to you. And that's the truth. Praise God, it's the truth. That's the truth. God's word is Bible. God says, look, you, you can't earn, I want to give. Why would you want to earn what I want to give you? You want to put me in because you're tired of just trying to get something else to fill the spot that isn't created for something else for God. If God really loves you, he created a spot just for him and nothing 
I want you to satiate. I want you to satisfy. And I want to give it back over to you where it belongs. St. Betsy, just stand right now. Go ahead and stand. changes that will need to be made in lifestyle in priorities make them easy for the people you want to carve in and out of our life God make it easy matter of fact for some of us we would be so busy to fight you for what we don't even need so please we give you permission to take even what we may not want to let go of but we know we need to. But remind us, God, you're not a God of knots, you're a God of instead of. So right now, God, I beg you, right now, as I stand in the gap for my brothers and sisters, and I stand here myself and say, God, don't let any part of my heart not be loyal to you. Make me a faithful person, someone who loves you completely and knows that you are the fountain of living water. And God, I just say right now, cover me in that grace, cover me in that mercy, Fill me to overflowing, not because I deserve it, I never will, but because you are a God of grace who delights in offering mercy to his own. So God, I just say, simplify my life. It be only you. I say earlier, Lord, take all of you, but God, right now I say it without seeing in my heart of hearts, take all of you. You can do what you want with my money. You can do what you want with my stuff. You can do what you want with any part of my life because first and foremost, have my heart. It's yours. So Lord, here I am. Have your way, I pray in Jesus' name. We pray as you say. Amen. Thank you, Steve. For any of you in here who would like to dedicate or rededicate, accept as a gift to Jesus. If you're not sure if you've ever accepted the gift of Jesus or you feel like you just not even been remotely near that, sure you haven't, I'm going to pray a prayer and ask you to listen at the end of it all. If you agree, I ask you to say amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life, and here it is. God in heaven, I come to you hungry. I've tried the things of this world, and it doesn't work. And I feel dirty, and guilty, and wrong. I need you to renew me. I need you to cover me in your grace in the blood of your son, Jesus the Christ. Had you not loved me, I would have no option. But because you loved me, you sent Jesus to die on the cross that all of my crimes could be pardoned. From the smallest wicked thought to the greatest evil deed. 
died there on the cross. It's done. It's over. And Jesus, you rose from the grave three days later, and in doing so, you now offer me a new life, one under your governance, with Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And so I say, have me now. Be my Lord, be my Savior, Jesus. Father, adopt me into your family. Jesus, take me as your love, as your own. As I surrender myself now, cleanse me completely and may I walk with you in the sweet joy of fellowship that you only you offer. Be my satisfaction.